What's up? Welcome to the Stand Up and Shout Rock Show with Whisk and Kev. We're broadcasting live from the Salisbury Center Studios on Wild Style Radio. What's up, Jeff? I'm not bad, man. How you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Uh, got a good program coming up. In a, in a few minutes, we're going to be connecting with Sean Perry, who is the vocalist and guitarist of the Metallica album, Metallica quality. album quality tribute band, The Four Horsemen. We're going to be appearing at the Salisbury Center on January the 21st. Uh, so that's going to be really cool to connect with him, talk about the band and the upcoming show. And uh, we got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. But we're going to kick things off today. Uh, UltimateGuitar.com had an article up posted recently where uh, D. Snyder was uh, giving some comments related to vocalists versus frontmen. Vocalists versus frontmen. And... Uh, his opinion is that guys can be great singers, but not necessarily great frontmen. And uh, the the one target he sort of aimed at was Robert Plant. Uh, said the guy was a great singer, but not very much of a frontman. What do you think? So are we going to tie this into the Rolling Stone list? We're going to like kick into that. You want to talk about that now, or do you want to you want to just focus on what D had to say? Well, I think we can talk about a lot of it because uh, you know. Uh, Robert Plant also showed up on that list that was right. recent released. <clears throat> right. No, and that's that's where I was on this. I, I love frontmen. I, you know, I, that's just my personal take on the whole thing. So I understand what D is saying, but uh, I, I, we weren't around in the time of Robert Plant's heyday. We've certainly seen things on video and uh, other outtakes and excerpts where I would consider him a frontman. And of course, he's a fantastic singer. I mean, that is very obvious in all the recordings that are there. But I, I, I kind of missed D's point on that. I didn't necessarily see where he wasn't fronting a stage. Uh, I, I know he referenced getting out into the stage, bringing in people, you know, firing up the crowd. But uh, to me, Robert had his own ways of doing that. I remember the back bend with the bulge. You know, if that doesn't fire up a crowd, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and his comment was, yeah, he's a great singer, but he just stood there and he shook his hair and he held up his hand and so you know i've seen old videos you know song remains the same the the live movie you know and at the time at the time you know robert was uh and i pulled up a couple of videos earlier today on youtube and you know i i looked at videos of d with twisted sister and robert plant with led zeppelin and basically they both did the same thing so you know, D sort of referenced frontmen like Freddie Mercury, David Lee Roth, who truly, you know, were they had a lot of they were animated, a lot of antics on stage, legit frontmen. Sure, but you know, I, I thought D was a little off base on his criticism of Robert Plant. I mean, D is definitely to me a very physical singer. There's no doubt about it. Like if I think of somebody, I I remember like seeing you know different uh, documentaries with him involved. With the warm-ups, I remember his warm-ups of, you know, all the push-ups and literal workout he would do before he would go out onto a stage. So, in other words, he is pumping up because he's going to go out, run the stage, pump up that crowd. So, there's a physicality to that. But I think that when we get into this list, you know, what Rolling Stone put out then also, every front man has their personality and their style. And that, to me, what conveys in their music and their art. And D is very, that that is him. That is a gregarious and kind of a you know, manly, beastly approach that, I mean, Robert Plant was pretty, you know, he maybe had more of an effeminate approach. So I don't necessarily know if the effeminate approach isn't necessarily being a front man because there's a lot of effeminate front men out there, right? Yeah, they're just different approaches. I think what he's talking about is like the showman versus the voice. And there's not very many that are both. Freddie Mercury is like one of the few that are both. Yeah. But David Lee Roth is a showman. Plant, I think he was saying, is more of a, a voice and not as much of a showman. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, so the other thing I kind of took from it is, you know, on the rock side of things, there, there were some interesting, uh, going back to the Rolling Stone article, <clears throat> you know, there was there were some interesting choices. For example, you know, they had, they of what I would call the rock musicians of our era, the highest-rated singer was Kurt Cobain at number thirty-six, which would, to me was really odd because one, you know, I didn't never really thought of him as a great singer. 
whereas, you know, guys like uh, Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell were actually r- ranked below him on the list. So, so, Kevin, you have notes, and you're looking at your notes, and so I have notes today, and I stole my notes from loudwire.com. And so, like, the interesting <laughs> part about the notes that I flagrantly stole is they did comparisons because this is not Rolling Stone's first list of of best singers. In fact, they did a 100 versus a 200 list of best singers, according to my notes here from loudwire.com, <laughs> in 2008. So what they, you know, they, they made a comparison. So you're bringing up Kurt Cobain. I found this very interesting. Kurt Cobain is one of the few rock singers that rose on the list. So out of 100 in 2008, he was listed at 45. He actually rose to 36, where most dropped. Uh, like an extreme example of that, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop, number 75, going down to 176. That dude dropped 101 spots somehow Wow! inside of that list. And it's... It's it's uh, Axel Rose number sixty four dropped to one thirty four. Do a little math there. Carry the one. He dropped seventy spots. You know on that list. That's that's shocking to me. And it's it's just the weirdness of. I think Rolling it depends Stone. on who's doing it because the, I think there's a difference where they're talking about a singer versus a vocalist. Because again, it's it's like the technique versus do you enjoy hearing them sing? Because uh, like Kurt Cobain's a great singer. But he's not a great vocalist. He's not going to get out there and wow you with his voice. But you feel the passion and you enjoy his his voice when you hear it. So I think that whoever wrote the article back then might have went more for the vocalist and and what they were what their skills were as using their voice. Whereas these people might have been going more for are they pleasing to the ear? Do I enjoy listening to them? Because those can be two totally different things. I mean, Bob Dylan, how long did he get along with, with no voice whatsoever? But how many people love him? More as a, a songwriter, but still people like my brother just love his voice because you he expresses himself and his songs through that terrible voice. But it's, it's expressive. Yes. So I think that's maybe what they're comparing. But maybe having maybe two different people or two different teams – we're doing the voting, and that's why they're so different between Axl Rose moving up and down and, you know, Cobain moving up and down. I, I love that you're bringing all this up. So that was that was Jeff Salisbury, the other Jeff, the OJ, you know, talking about that one. So I'm going to bring up a thing between the three of us that we've been talking about for years, and it's unresolved. So we're not going to resolve it in the next five minutes. But <laughs> we, we had a debate that, that started in the early 90s between the two Jeffs, you know, me and the other Jeff, between Corey Glover and Jeff Tate from Queensryche. So Corey Glover from Living Color, oh, yeah. Jeff Tate from Queensryche. Who is the better singer? I know what I'm the camp that I'm in, and yeah. I know the camp that you're in, and yeah. then poor Kevin is stuck <laughs> in the middle. So I'm going to ask you, Jeff, because I am, I am a Corey Glover fan. I think that dude, everything that you just described, yeah. I'm going to use your own take against you. Sure. That dude brings some personality yes. into what he does, and I love it. And I love me some, not only cult personality, but a lot of wicked songs that they do. That's what they're best known for. You going to change on that? You well, st- no, Jeff is, he's definitely a more talented vocalist because his voice is just unbelievable, his range, all that. But the way that he sings, you know, I don't get into it as much as I get into Jeff Tate. But again, that's my personal slant on it. It's, it's not... I guess I sort of talk out of both sides of my mouth because like Freddie Mercury <laughs> is technical, but he also, he puts personality into it too. Okay. So it, it, I, don't go, Jeff I don't go as much for the personality singers as I do for the technique singers. Yeah. I saw, I was fortunate this year. I saw Corey Glover open for soul asylum down in DC and Corey Glover was just basically acoustic with another acoustic player. He was a beast. He was just the, the vocals that came out of that guy, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, some singers struggle as they age. He is definitely not struggling as he age. He is, I guess, as someone would say, was seasoned, you know, with age. And that's definitely come out. And and uh, he's coming around again. He's coming into this area again. So I'm looking forward to that. And nothing against Jeff Takes. I think he's a beast also. Oh, so, yeah. so don't get me wrong there. But we, you're, you're so much more polite about that now with age. <laughs> I seem to remember you get that. You too old to argue. I, right? I, I feel like you were so sweet when you just yeah. made your point there. Yeah, a couple of drinks, the arguments get a little <laughs> bit more intense. Right, though. for sure. Right. Yeah, that usually those arguments were at uh, 
2, 3 a.m. at um, your apartment at Virginia Tech. So. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you're going to weigh in on that? Are you going to stay like, are you going to stay Switzerland on this? No, I'm going to stay Swiss. Uh-huh. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> of course. All right. Well, good, good discussion to kick things off. We're going to toss it to a break here, and we're going to come back with uh, Sean Perry, uh, vocalist, guitarist from the Four Horsemen, and you're listening and viewing the Stand Up and Shout Rock Show from the Salisbury Center Studios on Wild Style Radio. Welcome back to the Stand Up and Shout Rock Show on Wild Style Radio. This is uh, Kev here with Whisk, and we're looking forward to bringing in over Zoom uh, Mr. Sean Perry from the uh, Metallica album quality tribute band, The Four Horsemen. They're going to be performing here live at the Salisbury Center coming up in a couple of weeks on Saturday, January the 21st. And uh, Sean, thanks for joining the program. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So uh, been been able to catch a little bit of some of the live videos that you guys have up, uh, the band, on on YouTube. So interested in learning a little bit more how long the band's been together. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the band and, and sort of the history of, of where you guys have come from? Doing this from the old former members of the band and, and asked if I would be interested in doing it. Uh, one of the guys knew that I was in an original band. I was I released my records and whatnot back in the early two thousands. And he saw he had all my records. He thought I was great, and and I was just bebopping around the scene. And he asked if I would do this because their front man um, decided that it just wasn't for him anymore. And they had waited a year for that decision. So I said, yeah, you know, I I can uh, learn some tunes, come down and see what happens. So that was a long time ago, and uh, a couple of iterations of the band uh, have have played out since then, but. Yeah, it's been about 16 years now, and we've been touring um, over half the country for the last several years. So it's it's become a full it turned it from a bar band that just played maybe once every three four months into a national touring act. Um, it's just been a lot of hard work and whatnot, but it's definitely been night and day since the first time I uh, got into the band and started playing. To build on that a little bit, I'm just curious. So, what what are some of your favorite cities? Like, what what towns do you like going? To? Who's who's received you the most? Oh man, Michigan and uh, Virginia. Honestly, those those two states have just been incredible for us. And the band's based out of Ohio, so I really wasn't sure what to expect. Um, but it's it's definitely been growing. I mean, even Pennsylvania. There's some places that we go where it's always a sellout almost and it's just a great feeling to go out there and celebrate the music you know that's what it's about it's about celebrating the old school metallica vibe that people really yearn for still you know i I get a lot of fans that come up to me and they're so appreciative uh, that we do the old stuff the very hard technical old stuff that other bands don't want to do or or simply can't do um, and I think that's what's really setting us apart these days is just that drive to be the band that people want to see out there. So now you got me curious. I'm sorry, Kevin. I, I'm steering away here a little oh, it's bit. It's all good. I just heard the technical difficulty, uh, you know, the mentions. So, like, what what what, would you, what, what songs do you consider, like, in, in that uh, range? Sure. Um, Dyer's Eve would be one of those songs where it's the last, in my opinion, the last thrash metal song Metallica ever wrote until just recently, or it seems like they're trying to get back to their roots somewhat with um, Hardwired and the new album. So, you know, we relish that stuff. I mean, I grew up listening to Metallica. That was like my two top bands was ACDC and Metallica. And my first concert ever was ACDC. My second was Metallica. Um, <laughs> After I saw Metallica at 16 years old, I was like, I want to play guitar. This, that's what I want to do. So when I would go out and see other tribute bands, 
try to do the material and they're messing up almost every aspect of it, especially the hard songs. And it's like, okay, um, I'm paying money and I'm disappointed. And so I didn't plan on getting into a tribute band. I was just writing my own stuff for years. And I just thought, you know, since I had this opportunity, I told those guys, I'm like, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we're going to count things out. We're going to figure out the time signatures, everything. And so, you know, I, you just surround yourself with people who have that same vision. It took me several years to find really, truly the right people, but we all live and breathe this music. I can't tell you how many people have come up to us after we play Disposable Heroes, Dire Z, Fight Fire with Fire Black and Battery, um, all of these hard ass songs. And they just say, you play these like you wrote them. And I'm like, well, you guys deserve better. You know, you pay money, you get out there every week, you bust your ass at work and, and you know, money's tight. And I really don't want people going home saying, I, I, I wasted my money on that band. They, they sucked them. Vocalist can't sing. Guitar player raped the solos. The drummer skipped all the hard stuff. I'm like, no. In this band, you either play it or you're not in the band. And it's not, it's not me being egotistical for myself. It's that the fans deserve it. The period it's all about our whole show is about the fans uh, that's fantastic and, and you know and and looking at some of the videos that totally shows through the musicianship that you guys all have so i'm curious how much time you know with the touring schedule and other things do you actually get to rehearse and, and make sure that you guys are as tight as you are uh none we are the guitar player and the bass player live about three hours away in Pennsylvania. I live in Akron, Ohio. My drummer lives about 10 minutes away from me, but he's got kids. He is a studio drummer full time. Um, we just don't have time to get together. So when we're on the road, um, I just expect everybody to do their homework. When you do have time at home, go over it. And if there's a new song, we just bring it in a sound check see how it goes over. And so far we haven't had to drop anything when we've added it um, at a sound check. I, I love these guys. They understand what I expect. And um, it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty cool to be able to bring a brand new song in that's technical. Like we just brought jump in the fire into the set and it just, as soon as we did it in sound check, I'm like, all right, it's going to be on set tonight. And that was just not maybe a couple months ago. So we're, I'm still, I'm still bringing more songs in. People are asking, you know, our shtick, I, sh I guess I don't call it shtick, but our thing is black and back. It's 1991 back to 1983. I have some people here and there to ask me, well, would you do this song? Would you do that song off these other albums? And I'm like, no, right now I play the songs that I love. And um, those in the eighties and, and that black album, that, that was when I was a kid and that was what sung to me in my heart. So when people say, well, would you play something off of death magnetic? It's like, yeah, I, I tried doing cyanide and I tell you what, people walked away, went to get a drink. They went to the bathroom, go outside for a smoke until the song was done. And I just realized I'm like, people don't want to hear this stuff. Um, they want to hear the hardcore, you know, thrash metal days of Metallica. And I thought, Let's just cut it off at the Black Album because you have to play. I mean, I, I know people are like, oh, it's a sellout. You're playing Enter Sandman. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's the one of the largest selling albums to date. And yeah, I'm going to play that song. I actually like that whole album. Uh, vocals were killer on that album, and it, and it kills me to sing it. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the, the focus is I want to give the people what they want. The vast majority of people I, I used to put polls up, what song you want to hear, this one or that one. And if I put anything past like 1980, you know, well, let's say like 88 and Justice for All, I put up something on Justice for All or something like Until It Sleeps or Fuel, it was no contest. The, the people were just kiboshing the new stuff and it, it was all about the old stuff. So, I, you know, I try to listen to what people want. And the majority of them know if I get one person that says play something off of Lulu, I'm saying, no, you got the wrong band. <laughs> you, you, I was about to ask if you were looking for a Lou Reed style vocalist. And I take it that that's out. That's, that's not like on the radar. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I'm not about the Picasso Metallica. I don't I don't understand that album. I, I don't know what they're I mean, I get it. Bands change over time. Mm-hmm. You're you're not gonna get the same album unless, you know, I, I I'll get in trouble if I name some names. <laughs> but uh we all know that there's there's some bands out there just been playing the same stuff for 30, 40 years. It works sometimes, but I don't think it's going to work for a, a thrash metal band to just sit there and play the same old riffs. You, you're going to change. You get older. You know, these guys got families. When they were kids, they were pissed off, you know, taking on the world, making fun of Motley Crue. Anything that they deemed that was poser was a target. And they were out to prove that they were going to just beat the shit out of it and be the best band in the world. And they, they, they did that, but you, you're still going to develop. You're, you're not going to just sit on your laurels and write the same old stuff. So I don't, I don't bash them for changing and writing albums that I don't really identify with. There's little kids that come to our shows that their first album they ever heard was like reload. You know, so they'll ask me, oh, would you play this song? This was the first song I ever heard. And I started to think, I'm like, you know, maybe soon I should start imploring or bringing in, integrating some of those songs that are a little later because these kids, they, they didn't grow up like me. They didn't grow up 1980s, you know, the early 80s listening to Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets. They grew up listening to stuff that came out way afterwards. And um, so I... I had a long discussion with a young kid and he was real cool about it. And he said, you know, I love what you guys do. He goes, but that first album I heard sang to me the same way your first album sang to you. And I thought, shit, you know what? I never thought of it that way. So I have been thinking more recently that maybe we'll incorporate some of the, what I call newer stuff, 1996 load and then the reload album and stuff like that. So it's possible that it might be around the corner, but not until um, I get at least Metal Militia into the set list. We used to do it a long time ago, and I got a, a couple new guys in the band, so you know they've been catching up, learning songs. So I'm like, you know, if you really want to stand out, do stuff nobody else can do. And Metal Militia is one of those songs that I almost want to say Dave Mustaine must have wrote it. It is so hard to sing and play that riff. You know, there's a lot going on, and uh, I've, I've never seen any band even attempt it. And, and I used to do it. I'm like, we should, we got to bring that back in. That's just another. Everything's about separation when you're in a tribute band. It's about being the best because I'm all about the free market, and the free market dictates the best product wins. <laughs> so for me, it's it's not a competition with so much like the fans or the the other bands. It's about separation. We're going to bring something to you you're not going to see anywhere else. And that that's what I base the shows and the set lists on. And it seems to work. Hey, guys, can I interrupt for a second? This is yep. Jeff, the producer. Sorry, Sean. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to get back to you saying you guys don't really practice. You just kind of bring it in uh, when you do your warm-ups before the show, and that's how you bring in new songs. I don't know if you guys yeah. – how many times you've seen them, whatever. <clears throat> I've seen these guys several times. I've had other friends that have seen them more times than I have, and they are note for note Metallica. Honestly, they're unbelievable, and for them to be able to practice at home and then come in and pull it together right before their show is incredible. I mean, hats off to you. That that shows your skills and professionalism. Way to go. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. It's, I would prefer to have some practices before these, but with the schedule that we have every weekend is full. I mean, we don't even have an open weekend until mid-March. And by the time two or three weeks from now, I'm probably going to have that full and be looking, you know, I think May and April and all. It's just everything's filling up now that I got the new promotional videos done. Um, I've been putting those out on Facebook Instagram for all of our shows, uh, which I'll be doing for you guys' show as well. Um and it's just incredible. I had one of the owners of uh, Elevation 27 called me yesterday. And he's like, I can't believe how many tickets we're selling. And I told him, I said, it's because I spent over $12,000 on video this summer. And I've been promoting their show with it. And people are just losing their shit. So it's like, okay, it's working. Yeah, you know, these guys I want are, people to see it. Yeah, you guys are probably one of the most professional bands I've ever dealt with. And all of it shows and, and what you do. And, and even in this interview, like just superb professionals 
Sorry, guys. Thank Go you. ahead. Yeah, no to problem. To be interrupted, it's the producer that butts in. <laughs> you are in a lovey mood okay. today. Like, I, I try to rile you up with the lead singer thing. Well, dude, I love these guys. So, I, it, you know, yeah. it, it, I think it's pretty awesome to have them have Sean on here and being able to do this and, and promote this and try and promote these guys the way that they deserve to be promoted. I, I know. I'm just not used to it from you. I, that speaks highly <laughs> to you, Sean. It, like, he's in another gear somehow. All right. We're, we're going. We're doing it good. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I haven't seen you live, but I've, I've seen, as I mentioned, I've seen a lot of the videos. And and what I like is, you know, there, there's some samples and fills for certain songs, like you know, the bells and at the beginning of "For Whom the Bell Tolls." But you guys are doing things that even Metallica, when you're seeing them live now, are not doing. You know, they'll they'll play a a, a beginning of a song that is pre-recorded, and then they jump into it. So. You know that goes to show your all's musicianship as well, and and how difficult some of these songs are to play. That even those guys aren't necessarily going note for note all the time. Yeah, I know they do the intro to Battery and the intro to Dire's Eve at least are on tape. Um, I, I don't like it. I love I love that intro, and we had to kind of think outside the box because there's layered guitars on the Battery intro, that acoustic part that right. you know starts the song off. So I had my, my bass player, I just keep rhythm going. I had my bass player do the harmony melody line over top of that with our lead guitar player. And then when we break into the distortion part, he goes back to rhythm and I do the harmony as we climb up the scale. So yeah, you, you kind of have to think outside the box and whatnot because you know, it's, it's live. It's, um, you, you just try to fill in those spots as much as you can nothing else matters is a, a, a good example of that too. Cause it's, it's so layered and there's strings in the background. So we, we try to fill it up as much as we can when we're doing that, that song as well. But yeah, it's, it's all about the show. Like I said, I don't want to put anything on tape. The only thing that's on tape are like intro things, um, ecstasy of gold, obviously, and the bell, um, the gunfire for one stuff like that, you know, that that's about the only well no i take that back we the only other thing that's on there that we we just can't do right is the intro to fight fire and the reason for that is there must be four different guitars layered through that and i i haven't seen anybody do where it sounds full enough it always sounds really thin when we tried to do it i thought you know what let's just throw it in there and we'll do the swell and come in but other than that i don't want to take away from those songs it's, you know, as much, as much as I possibly can will be played. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll say, I'll just like the other two cents, you know, being in the town that you're in and speaking for Kevin and I specifically, uh, you know, you're in a Virginia, heavy Virginia tech area. So you're bringing up Sandman and inner Sandman. That's going to be well-received. I know like at least by the two of us, especially, but uh, you know, it, it brings up some patriotic type of feelings, <laughs> you know, uh, with, with the crowd that you're in front of. So. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, like I said, it, it, everybody's got those that one song that got them into whatever band it is. And I, I also say that uh, at the crowd because you, know, you guys mentioned about seeing some of our videos earlier. If you see a video of us, it doesn't mean anything. It's boring. It's flat screen. It's one dimensional. If you're at our show, I guarantee you the feeling the electricity that runs through your body as these songs are being played is so much different than watching it on YouTube, eating an Oreo cookie. Yeah, it's we, so we have a little clip up right now. This I don't is know from if their you show here. It. Oh, is this when we... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I forget the uh, opening band. That guy kept jumping up on our station. What's <laughs> <laughs> that really guy doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were wondering the same thing. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. I, you know, people just get really riled up and, um, that's just, that, that's what the live experience is all about though. You know, you, you bring, I see so many parents bring their kids to our show as their first Metallica concert. And I don't say that myself. The parents are telling me this is my kid's first time seeing Metallica. And I used to correct them. I used to say, well, you haven't seen Metallica yet. You're <laughs> just being a tribute. But I thought, who am I to tell that parent? what he wants to tell his or her, you know, that the daughter or the son, I'm like, you know what? I just say, thank you anymore. Just let them have it the way they want it. You know? So it's, it, it is, it's electric. It's a totally different experience than seeing it on YouTube. 
you're, you're talking about, you know, a lot of other people, but, you know, kind of, I'm curious about you. So I, I know the albums, we've been around each other, we grew up together, like Kevin, Jeff, and I. I know the albums that brought us into Metallica way back in the day. What what was your album? That What, what was your first well, love? Well, I usually tell that story during the show, uh, a very oh. abbreviated, abbreviated story. It's fine. Um, my first song ever was Sanitarium off okay. of Master of Puppets. And we had a guy that used to go up and down our neighborhood. He had the biggest jukebox, boombox you'd ever seen. He had it on his shoulder walking down the middle of the street. And that's how I found new music was he would be blasting it walking down my mom's street. And the one day that he was blasting that song, I just, I was up in the attic. I ran all the way down three flights of stairs, nearly killed myself, ran out the front door. I'm grabbing onto the porch because my mom was like, you're not allowed off the front porch. And it's just one of those weird, I had a weird mother, but I'm screaming at him to stop, you know, and he, he turned around and looked at me and he's like, what? And I'm like, what is that song, man? I, I, that's awesome. And he goes, it's fucking Metallica. You know, he's yelling it from the street. Like I should have known. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm 12 years old. I don't even know what fucking Metallica is. So did I you, tell, look, did I you go to the him, record store and look in the F section for uh, of the, of the tapes. That's part of my story. I tell oh. the crowd. Next, next day I, I went to the F section to find fucking Metallica, <laughs> you know, and you get a, you get a really good laugh out of the crowd. They belly laugh with, with me. And, you know, we continue on with the set and all, and I start the song up, but that first song really, I mean, before Metallica, it was Scorpions, Boston, ACDC, um, Journey, Queen, but my gosh, when I heard Sanitarium, I was like, oh, that's it. You know, the ball game changed for me. And that's when I really started to dive into metal, Anthrax, Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth. Um, you know, these days it was like Kill Switch and Lamb of God, mm -hmm. Dream Theater, all, all kinds of different styles that I like to listen to. Have you kind um, of shut out hard rock or are you really, is thrash, you know, really your thing? Or are you, are you, you feel kind um, of diverse no. when you're listening? No, I, I could never, I mean, Rocky Like a Hurricane, that, that whole album, I mean, yeah. oh my God, Scorp Scorpions are just phenomenal. ACDC was my all-time favorite band when I was a kid. I used to dress up as Angus Young and go out trick-or-treating when I was in high school mm -hmm. with my guitar. <laughs> so, it, you know, that that band will always be one of my favorite bands. ACDC and Metallica are like neck and neck for me. I always like those raspy, hard-edged singers. Um, which also, if I may, uh, you guys were talking about D. Schneider, um, talking about Led Zeppelin and Robert Plant. Um, I will say this. Back in Robert Plant's day, they didn't put makeup on and run around the stage with, with chick clothes on, okay? What they did was they sat down quietly, respectfully, and they watched those songs from beginning to end, and then they clapped. And that was respect for the band. My father used to go to those shows, and he told me it was a very different dynamic, very different atmosphere back in that day. So my dad's in the 70s. So when I hear people saying, oh, Robert Plant's not a good front man, it's like, um, you're not even talking app apples to apples here. You're talking apples to oranges. Your day was very different than Robert Plant's day. Sure, okay, absolutely. So yeah, and and what I noticed... Uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, what I was going to say, what I noticed, and, you know, and obviously as music and concerts and, and shows have evolved, you know, when the videos I was watching earlier today of Led Zeppelin, there's not enough room to run around on the stage. It's sort of how they set the stage up. You know, yeah. you, you yeah. basically like, had to uh, kind of stand there. Yeah, it, it, I mean, to get the rugs out and, you know, yeah, stuff was all over the stage. And I, I think to myself, I'm like, that time frame cannot be compared to any other time frame. It would be like saying the Beatles sucked because they didn't run around with, you know, wigs on and, and makeup and, and, and getting the hey, hey, or whatever into the crowd. It's like that's not what that was about back then. You know, it's, it's just not comparable to him saying, you know, they're, they're not good front men. I'm sure I've seen people who are boring to watch. Uh, I'm not going to name names again because I know a lot of people in the industry but I don't want to step on any toes, but you know, people do what they do. Um, I, I don't want to sit here and act like, Oh, I'm more energetic than this guy. And it's like, well, this guy's a legend. Who are you? Right. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say like Robert Plant didn't know how to entertain people. Um, you might want to button your lip. So if D. Schneider sees this interview, he'll probably be like, oh, screw that guy. I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> well, and I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing that happened with social media, it was all of us backseat drivers get to talk now too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Everyone gets to share their opinion. Uh, you know, and to me, when I was reading it, I'm like, this is more or less clickbait. He's, he's just looking for a little bit more attention. It. So, you know, yeah, that's, I think you're right. That's the world we're in these days. So you mentioned uh, your touring schedule. How many shows are you guys doing, you know, in a six-month uh, or a year period? Uh, last year we did about 60. This year we're already on pace to get more than that. It's it's two to three shows a week um, and a lot of driving. So, uh, you know, as far as the logistics of it, that's what kind of hinders me is how far away it is a show uh, what do I got to do to get there? For instance, we're playing Elevation 27 on Friday, and then we're playing um, Beacon Theater on Saturday in Hopewell, Virginia. So we'll be in your state uh, getting people ready for your show. But, um, yeah, I got to leave Thursday night. Um, it's like a nine-and-a-half-hour drive for me, and I don't want to do that all in one day. Load in. We don't have any crew. Um, we Everything we do is usually me doing it. Um, I wear all the hats. You know, I just expect my guys to show up and kick ass. So load in, load out, finding hotels, driving the guys all over the place. It's usually me doing all that. So I try to give myself some rest. So I'm going to half it up Thursday night, drive about four and a half hours, get a hotel, drive the rest of it the next day, load in, do the show, get a hotel, you know, drive to the next and so on and so on. So the only thing that would be helpful with that down the line is uh, being able to make a little more money, bring a couple guys out to load in, learn our setup, learn our teardown, pack the trailer correctly. Um, you know, not drop my freaking amps, as you can see. I, <laughs> my, uh, my angle amps are behind me. I've got four angle amps. I got four Marshall amps. I've got almost 20 Marshall uh, stacks. So, I mean, I've got a lot of equipment and we, we like to fill the stage up. So it's, However big the stage is, that's how much I know how, to, how many cabinets I'm supposed to bring. And they're all fully loaded, by the way. They're not fake. I can plug them all in. I get people all the time, oh, those are fake. I'm like, no, they're not. You know why they're not? Because I know you people will rip on me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like your story. I, I'm beginning to feel like Jeff Salisbury over there. Like, Because we, we, we were talking a couple of days ago about like the community this music builds and, and the love and appreciation that everybody has for it in their own different ways, you know? So, you know, you're, you're a part, you're a musician yourself, you know, obviously dedicated to perfectionism, everything that I'm hearing, you know, we have uh, Kevin is encyclopedic, you know, and, and, and many versed knowledge of, uh, all rock genres and types. Oh, you're too kind. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, so like I say, and it's uh, Jeff Salisbury there is having an effect on me. And so is your story. So like, I'll, I'll just throw that back to you. Like he did. I, I just can't appreciate enough. Well, like the, know, the passion that you're describing for what you play. I appreciate that. Well, like I said, you know, I, well, the, the thing is like, I was that person out in the crowd for many years. I, I had a crap job. I was making like just above minimum wage and, and to go to see a show was a lot of money for me. Sure. And I started going and seeing, cause you know, Metallica is not going to come around every year. Sure. It's just not happening. And a lot of times they skip our city completely. Um, I can't remember the last time they played Cleveland, Ohio even. And that's where I was born. Now I live down in Akron an hour away, but they still, they don't play here either. Sure. So, you know, I started going out and seeing Metallica tributes um, back in my twenties. And the, the thing that got me the most was uh, wanting to leave early because they were just screwing up all the songs. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to spend my money watching these other bands. I could play it by myself in my basement better than what they're doing. Sure. So I just did that. And this, you know, kind of fell into my lap. I, I didn't have any intention of ever getting into a Metallica tribute. I actually owned an IT company. I had 30 some clients when I was approached about this. And I told them that. I don't really have a lot of time to do it, but I was always a musician. You know, I had toured, I had written albums and it just kind of, that bug just kind of grew inside of me. And, and one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden I started really pushing for shows. But the problem with that first lineup was all the other guys had like five different bands. And the only band I had was the one. So I, you know, 
things happen. And, and I just said, look, I want to take this seriously. I want to see where I can go with it. And I started to bring the client list down and bring the shows up with the band. And all of a sudden now I've only got one client for IT and I am a full-time musician. So wow. it's kind of crazy how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So in doing a little bit of the research and you mentioned uh, the previous band and we had a couple uh, audio hiccups as we were first connecting. So we missed a little portion, but I, I did uh, come upon the antithesis album that you guys recorded. And, antithesis. Uh, antith- All short <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. Um, yeah. And what struck me is it, it's really good. I loved it. Um, it, it, to me, it sounded like a little bit heavier version of dream theater, which you also mentioned as a, a band of interest to you. So, um, just curious, uh, what led you and maybe you've already covered it, but to move away from that into the Metallica tribute realm. Oh, um, yeah, I, um, I had no interest in cover bands, no interest in tribute bands back in my twenties, my twenties, as soon as I got out of high school, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to rock around the world. That didn't work. However, um, I wrote uh, multiple albums with that lineup. That was my first ever original band and last that I ever started. I picked all the people myself and we, we put out some really good music and we got signed to Massacre Records over in Germany, which happened to be the second largest at the time for metal. I think Metal Blade was the bigger one and then there was Nuclear Blast. Um, the, the problem was we were screwed over, if I'm allowed to say like really what happened. Um, Massacre used us kind of like a tax write-off. Um, they gave us a Western European deal. Now, all the Western bloc countries uh, they were going to sell it. They were going to take us on tour and, and, you know, do the whole nine yards with us as an original act. And uh, I was very excited about that. So we had, a, I think, a three album deal with them. And my management was in Denmark. And at the time, they were signing other bands to, to grow their own management uh, company. They went over to uh, Soviet Union and they were checking out a band. So they happened to go into one of the record stores over there. And they saw my album. Now, Soviet Union is an Eastern Bloc European country, not a Western. So they called me and they said, um, your album is in Soviet Union stores and you need to call Massacre right away. And I'm like, what is going on here? So uh, long story short, they were selling our album out from underneath of us and not uh, reporting. They didn't have to report to ASCAP BMI because Soviet Union didn't allow those companies over there. So basically just, just pocketing the money and just telling us, well, you know, your, your album's selling, but it's not selling that well. And so I got on the phone with them. I was hot under the collar. I was young. And I just thought, I said, I will never write another riff again for you. Uh, you, you could have stole my car. You could have stole my girlfriend, but you stole what I created in my freaking head. And that was just so offensive to me that I was like, I was, I was just, distraught. My heart fell out. I put the guitar in the case. I threw it in the closet and I stopped all music. And that's when I was like, screw this. Um, the record companies are a bunch of thieves and I'll never do it again. Now I have written other songs, but I've never released them. I just kept them to myself for my own enjoyment. Showed a couple of my family members, a couple of my friends, but I just like, I I don't want to put it out there and get my stuff stolen away from me again. So I, I, uh, started singing karaoke that was that was i went from a touring musician to a karaoke singer in dive bars mm-hmm. um and that's i i i looked at one of the want ads for musicians and i saw there was an allison chains tribute that needed a singer and so i went and i did that for about three and a half years and that's how the four horsemen um people found me and when they heard that i could sing and play and heard my albums they were like oh my god you know would you join the band I'm like yeah if you play everything the way it's supposed to be played so you know it's kind of like a little circle back from how would I how I actually got into it but yeah I, I I had no intentions of being in any cover band or any tribute I actually used to make fun of them just like all the other people that don't know but being in this band it doesn't matter and I told this to a kid a young kid that's in a Van Halen tribute he's a good friend of mine um 
I just told him this this weekend when we were out seeing a, another friend of ours play. And I said, it doesn't matter if you're playing your own music or someone else's music. I said, look around this room. Look at all these people and the love and the joy that's on their faces. It's about spreading joy and, and celebrating life. So if you can make somebody who has a crap job, maybe they just got divorced, maybe their kids don't listen and they just, they're hating their lives and they come to your show and they fucking love you for three hours, then you did your job. It doesn't matter if you're successful on your own music or somebody else's. And that, I truly believe that. And I've been in this scene long enough on both sides of that fence. So if someone wants to criticize me, it's like, hey, walk in my shoes. And you'll see that it's all about celebrating and making those other people out there feel like a million bucks. I love doing that. Awesome. Yeah, that is. And so like Lane Staley vocals, huh? Like that. that's good oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. Yes, sir. Um, Lane Staley, uh, honestly, I, I'm going to probably get flack for this. I've never heard anybody do Lane Staley than me, except Lane. Uh-huh. Um, I've never heard anybody do Dave Mustaine better than me. I'm sure there's probably several people I that can sing <laughs> the, the James Hetfield role. Um, I don't think I sound like his tenor. What I think I do better than most people is I study the way he enunciates and the dynamics of what he's doing. Is it a clean vocal? Is it a dirty vocal? I try to study that very carefully so that I can get my voice to kind of sound like what he does. And that's, that's where I think I shine with that is that um, attention to detail type stuff. If you want to have a Dave Mustaine singing contest, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down I to listen to that. that. I saw them about that the other day. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what, Kevin, we'll, uh, you're going to be at the show, right? Yes. Okay, well, I'll throw. We usually do a couple Megadeth tunes. I'll throw those tunes in for that show, and you nice. tell me what you think afterwards. Awesome. Yeah. No, I I came across the Megadeth a couple of those uh, videos, and yeah. and that was one of the first things I thought. I'm like, shit, this guy sings Dave better than he does James. But <laughs> but uh, I I, I am you know I love Metallica, but I am a huge Megadeth fan. He sings too, Dave so. better than Dave sings Dave <laughs> these days, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Kevin. I, I am a huge Megadeth fan. I met Dave uh, several years ago. He was super friendly to me, and all my friends said, don't go meet him. He's such an asshole. And the guy grabbed both my hands and prayed for me when I told him I was in a Megadeth tribute. And he was, he was like, I just want to pray for you. And he goes, I'm giving you some of my mojo. When you go home, you're going to be a better guitar player. And I was like, this That's is awesome. awesome. He, he's so, uh, uh, he he's a very down to earth guy. I mean, he's he gets a bad rap from a lot of people, but I've met him on at least two different occasions. And the first time they were opening for Judas Priest, and they, uh, you know, it was at the Capitol Center, which no longer exists here in Washington D.C. And Marty Friedman was the guitar player in the band at that time, and he's from this area. So at the the meet and greet, it was all of his family. Nobody else except his family was there and me. And I was just leaning on this cinder block pole down underneath uh, the arena. And I turn and look, and Dave's leaning on the pole right beside me. And he's like, what's up, man? And and we had a, had a five- or ten-minute conversation, you know, not an egotistical bone in his body, and was just super, super nice. And, you know, I've been a fan ever since. Yeah. Yeah, I have to, you know, the, the whole thing about Dave being unhappy of getting kicked out of Metallica, I'm like, I understand it, but here's the problem with that. I know he wanted to have a second chance. That was one of the things he talked about. He never got a second chance. It was just, here's your bus ticket and get out of here. Um, they were kids. Right. James was a kid. Uh, Lars was a kid. Cliff was a kid. They were not adults. They didn't know how to deal with the situation properly. But you got to look at what happened as a result. Megadeth. All of the beautiful music that we would not have if he had been uh, uh, still the guitar player, the songs would not have been written to suit how his playing style developed. You know, I, and I got to believe that he knows this, you know, and, and there's so many millions of people that love him for him, not for Metallica, for what he does. And that's one of the things why I brought in a couple of Megadeth songs to the set was to celebrate Dave being the first lead guitar player. Um, 
So, you know, people really uh, receive it well and we have fun with it. Um, and it's, you know, to me, I'm honored. I'm really honored to have the opportunity to spread that music around uh, also with the whole Metallica show that we do. So I'm an educator. Educate <laughs> Absolutely. I have a 25 year old son who is a huge Metallica fan. Um, one of the three of my kids that actually adopted my musical taste, but uh, he hasn't had the opportunity to see them live yet. So I think he'll be here on the 21st as well. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get him out to actually see Metallica in a real show here very soon. Um, what's your favorite Metallica song to perform? Uh, I don't know if I have a real favorite, but I have to say, you know, Sanitarium being the first one I ever heard, um, that, that song, those lyrics kind of reflect back to my childhood, uh, in a broken home. Uh, and I don't need to really, you know, get into the details of it, but it still makes me think of the struggles that people go through. Cause for me, sanitarium is not about a physical sanitarium for crazy people. It's about the abuse that people take and deal with in their own families, you know, and I honestly, I've had flashbacks while I'm singing on stage of shit that's happened to me in my childhood. And, you know, when it says, leave me be I'm like, I, yeah, uh, that's for my mom <laughs> that those lyrics are for my mother. And I don't have a problem saying it now, but I was very embarrassed about what happened to me as a kid. And I thought I didn't want to tell people my story, but honestly, I've been doing this 16 years and I, you can't imagine how many people write to me, email, write physically to me, you know, send me a letter and the people that come up to me after shows and say, you know, I'm so happy that you talked about the problems that you had, you know, briefly before a song or something. I'll just try to, it's about connecting with people. Like I said before, making people escape that horrible life that they live in. Cause that's what music did for me as a kid. So I really do connect with the people that want to come up and take time and talk to me about depression, suicide, things that I went through myself and I thought to myself, you know, I'm here for a reason. And I thought it was because I wanted to rock out and be a rock star and all this stuff. But the more I go through life, I have opportunities to help people, you know, deal with something, especially if you, if you open your mouth and people say, I identify with that. I want to talk to him. I don't turn those people away after the show. So I will sit there until I get kicked out. You know, I've had a lady come up to me hug me and, she said, my God, you must have had a horrible childhood and all that stuff. And I said, I'm still here. There's other kids that didn't make it because of their parents, you know, murdering them and whatnot. I said, I don't ever look at myself and say I'm a victim. I look at my story. I say, I can relate to other people that maybe need some help. Um, I have had some beautiful, beautiful emails written to me about the, you know, what touched them about my story and whatnot. So it's, it's like family, you know, I, I, I consider our fans, part of the family. And that's why I call them the horseman family. If you ever see my posts on Facebook, mm -hmm. it's all about the horseman family getting together and, and having a great time and just, you know, celebrating the, the Metallica era that we grew up on or the Metallica era they're trying to introduce their kids to. It's, it's just great. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like Whisk said, it's the community and, you know, much like you can relate through the songs to experiences you had, all those people in the audience probably have had some sort of similar experience. That's exactly it. And like I said, I used to think I was unique, not even close. I mean, you know, Megadeth, not even close, <laughs> but it's, you know, um, it's, it's amazing. And, and I don't feel unique anymore. And I just feel like if I can help somebody, I'm going to do that. It, there's things in life, you know, money is great, but to feel fulfilled is so much greater than physical things that you can buy or have in your, in your house and whatnot. So I, I really like that the mental plane that I'm on these days, it's more about helping people and celebrating with them. So that's what this band is all about. I tell you, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and, and, and just, I'm overwhelmed by your appreciation of what you're playing. It's, it's hard for me to sit here and think that you didn't write these songs. You know, there, I, there's a deep connection in many ways because you're bringing up, you know, overcoming suffering. You're over uh, the bringing up, then also the celebration and the joy in it. You know, you've talked about a broad range of emotions, and 
I, I go back to what we said earlier. I think we've all found that, you know, when we go out to these shows, that's the reason why you go. That's the reason why you pay your money. And uh, you definitely yeah. have a, a, an intense connection that I'm sure the, that people will feel that on stage. Well, I really wasn't going to bring up much about that whole, you know, uh, the past and whatnot, but I mean, I, it, it doesn't really matter if I say it, but I, I'll tell you this. When, when I was a kid, these music was all I had. Right. We were not allowed to go outside. I, I never had a sleepover. I was not allowed to go outside out in the front yard. We were allowed to go in the backyard for two hours, one day a week. Right. And so all I had was drawing pictures and music. Uh, so there was a lot of, you know, uh, obviously the things were a lot different back in the eighties where parents could get away with yes. doing things to kids where, you know, these days they'd be in prison yeah. and that stuff happened to a lot of us. You know, we just didn't talk about it. What I did was I, I drew pictures about it. And next to those pictures, there's a lot of Metallica lyrics and um, ACDC, you know, things like uh, fade to black. I, I've got a, I still have these drawings. As a matter of fact, a lot of things, a lot of ways to kill yourself illustrated with fade to black lyrics next to each um, little picture. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. Like I, I live this music. Um, this music is part of me and it actually irritates me and gets me upset when I hear people playing it poorly. Right. Uh, so if that makes any sense, but it's like, it's part of my family. Metallica got me through some of the toughest, darkest times that I could even imagine as being a kid that had no idea that parents could be, so bad but it was like that was your you know that was your escape mentally i could escape in the music so i, I do I, I get pissed off when i hear people just slopping through the songs and i'm just like ah screw these guys <laughs> sure. but i i get why now i i you know when you get older you start to self-analyze and you start to understand things that you didn't understand as a kid and it just made you mad uh, and, but now I, I can look back at those things and say okay it happened to me it's over what can I do to help somebody else who might be going through it now? Because I have that pedestal, I have that microphone. And so it, it's kind of healing for me too, when I can help people. Cause I never had that as a kid, you know, I didn't have any counseling. There was no one to call. There was no social services. Sure. It was just, you dealt with it, man. Yeah. You dealt with it. And, um, yeah, I'm fortunate that I didn't do something horrible to myself, you know, back. Cause I know that there are children who have done things to just end it. Do you still connect like you're, you're, you're talking about your journey, you know, from childhood into now, I know that like, I feel that I still connect in, in diverse ways emotionally to music. Are you still finding new music that you're doing that with? Uh, yeah. Um, honestly, like Lamb of God is one of my favorite, uh, bands to listen to, uh, especially when I'm at the gym. It really pumps me up. Um, but I listen to a lot of the lyrics that Randy, um, sings and screams and and i used to not like the screaming vocal at all like when pantera first came out i i really wasn't into the vocals but man the guitar work and the drums was just phenomenal so i was like you know what i i have to deal with it because i love like cowboys from hell is a song yeah oh yeah and then cemetery gates and things like this so i i was really getting into it emotionally and you know when i listen to lamb of god there's a lot of he's got political undertones and so does uh, Dave Mustaine, obviously, um, dystopia, you know, we, without pointing fingers, I know exactly who he was singing about in that album, especially the first song. Uh, but you know, that's, I do, I do get emotional connection to, I think all of us do guys like us, you know, of course we're, even if you're not a musician, if you are a music lover, you're going to equate that to something in your life somehow. And I think that's why some of the lyrics, you know, when they're, it's like a gray area. A lot of people can take a lot of different um, ideas from a lyric. And I think James Hatfield does that very well sure. um, with his, his lyrical content. That's one of the things I liked about it. Cause you know, um, <laughs> the unforgiven is uh, that is my, that's like my, I don't know, my uh, alma mater or, or raise the flag song to my mother that's listen to those lyrics and i that's who i think of i'm like yeah you just never know what could have been because of what was going on and yet you could ask james what it meant 
or you could ask another fan what it meant and they would have a totally different meaning because those lyrics they lend themselves to multiple situations. I think that's the key to being a good lyricist as well, as you can relate to a lot of different situations sure. with the same sentence. Yeah. So he does that very well. Yeah. So that's the great thing about music. You know, it's up to your own interpretation, your own experiences and, and how it impacts you. And, and you're a hundred percent right. You know, how it feels to you or to me or to whisk is potentially different because it's going to bring out different emotions and, and just the same as, you know, James, when he wrote some of the, some of his lyrics. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm curious, had, you mentioned being, having the chance to meet Dave Mustaine. Have you had an opportunity to meet the guys in Metallica and, and tell them, you know, the band that you, that you're in and, and if so, sort of what their impression was? Um, no, I don't think they even know we exist. That's okay. Uh, if I never meet them, that's okay too. But this is an open open invitation. If anybody out there knows Lars, <laughs> I'd like to talk to him. Uh, one of my dream things, and I I'm and down I, for I, that. I'm, I'm in. in. I'm in with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would I would love to meet Lars and just have a sit down, not as a fanboy, uh, more as just thanking him and the guys for what they did for me when I was a kid, uh, struggling with my own issues, but also. I would like them to come to a show, sit down and listen and take it all in and, uh, you know, hopefully go home and say, well, shit, at least one of them's doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Well, great. Are, are we at the end of our list? I, I think we're, you got the notes. Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> well, I, I did have one other question. So you did mention, you know, uh, the hardwire, the, some of the songs on hardwire. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are of some of the newer, newer material in particularly the new song that they released for the upcoming album. Yeah. Oh, uh, I've, I've heard the Luxie Turner one time. Oh, wow. Um, I think that it is along the lines of the hardwired format. Um, people are telling me it, it sounds like, the first album and I'm like, well, you know, opinions, everybody's got them. Uh, my opinion really doesn't matter in the end, but um, specifically if you're asking what I think of it, I think it's, a, it's still along the lines of hardwired, which is a very good album. Um, it's never going to be 1986 Metallica again. And I don't think people should expect that. I think people should remember bands change Absolutely. and uh, they have evolved in, from thrash metal to hard rock to radio rock back to I think what they're trying to do as just heavy metal you know and, and it's not as fast as it used to be but that's okay um the the writing is there it's heavy and I think people are enjoying that so you know I I'm rooting for them you know that's that's good stuff um I don't know what else to say about that but I mean I'm, I'm Still rooting for Dave Mustaine too. He's kicking yeah. ass with his new album as yes. well. It's yes. great. Love that album. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Sean. I think, oh, some, some, I think people sometimes forget that these guys were disillusioned, angry twenty-year-old men, and now they're fifty-something millionaires. So <laughs> your your attitude's going to change. So your music's going to change. Yeah. 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 You're right. And I know James was interviewed years ago about the songwriting and the style and how it had changed and whatnot. He said, well, those song I wrote those songs when I was angry. I'm not angry anymore. And I'm like, yeah, it, it yeah. definitely changed. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I will say, you know, that new Judas Priest album too, kicks ass. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Firepower. I was like, yeah. I was very impressed with that too. So I'm like, you know, it's, it's still out there. There's still some angry metal musicians out there. So you, no yeah, you can find Conference stays angry. <laughs> so well, I, I'm curious yeah, too, because great, great I respect like your, your attention to detail, you know, and, and something I've definitely learned, like you're not only a connoisseur of music, but a connoisseur of tribute acts. So do you have others that you would recommend? I mean, of course you're number one. But if there's another tribute act, you know, coming in that like with, you know, kind of that level of detail that you're describing that I'm hearing from you. In and it doesn't of, have to be Metallica tribute. It could be any tribute. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, yeah. Any, any tribute like that you say is a, a would you consider a quality tribute? Oh yeah. Um, get the lead out. Um, I mean, I've seen a couple of different Led Zeppelin tributes 
um, gets a let out is kind of like us where we don't look like Metallica. You know, we're not, uh, some people are just uncanny and they look like the people that they're doing. Um, but get the let out. They even say, we don't look like them. We just sound like them. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some of their stuff and I'm like, those guys, yeah, they're no joke. And another one that I really liked as well, Britt Floyd went and saw those guys and that's a worldwide class act. Um, they, they have the actual Pink Floyd live footage that they use in their concert. I, I believe they are endorsed by Pink Floyd as well. Wow. Um, worldwide touring tribute band and people tell me that it can't be done. And I'm like, well, you just don't know the industry because right now, I mean, I'm playing shows I never thought I would play in venues that were unheard of for a tribute act. You know, you were a bar band if you were playing tributes when I was young. Sure. Uh, and now, I mean, I was just out with Hairball. I don't know if you guys have heard of those guys, but they're they're like a variety show act. They do a bunch of different rock, arena rock stuff. Mm-hmm. And the singers dress up exactly as the characters, head to toe. You know, it's just a big show. Um, they make a lot of money. And they play gigantic venues, arenas, and outdoor giant festivals. They're playing, you know, 20,000 people. So... You know, when people tell me that you can't do this and you can't do that, I'm like, well, that's because that's your belief system. My belief system is the sky is the limit. And uh, if somebody tells me no, I'm just going to find somebody that says yes. So that's, there are some really good bands out there to model yourself after, uh, to shoot for. But I do, the two that come to mind that I really thought did a good job was Get the Let Out for Led Zeppelin and uh, Britt Floyd for Pink Floyd. Other than that, I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just very, 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 very picky. Sure. Um, well, I've, I've seen a lot of bands do a lot of stuff, but the, the problem with me is walking away and knowing that, you know, I, all of them want me to put them on our shows. And I get requests all the time from tribute bands. Oh, let us open for this show or that show. And I'm like, ugh. I'm a jerk, man. If you don't sound like it and you're not owning it, I don't want you on my show. And a lot of pan, a lot of bands do want those bands on their show because it makes them look better. Right. I don't want that. I want the whole show to just kick ass. I want the fans to remember every aspect of that show, not just the headliner, but the opening band or whatever's going on. You know. So that's that's the thing with me is I. I want it to kick from start to finish. So I, I am a jerk when it comes to this stuff. But <laughs> now that you know my background, you yeah. can see why. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, uh, we, we greatly appreciate you taking some time to sit down and chat with us. Uh, we're looking forward to meeting you and the band um, coming up on January the 21st, the Four Horsemen. Right thanks, thanks again. Right on, and... Uh, I want to get a link to this so we can uh, post this podcast on our Facebook page, help you guys with some exposure and also uh, give the fans some different content. Awesome. Thanks. Right Thanks on. again. We'll see you on the 21st. Yes. You're listening to the stand up and shout rock show with whisk and Kev on wild style radio.